Philemon. We're in the book of Philemon. Uh, if you have any trouble finding that, that is going to be uh, west of Titus and east of Hebrews. Right in the middle there between them, Philemon. It's one of the first things that we ever learn to say in life, not long after we learn to say mama and daddy, we learn to say it. It's like a rite of passage. We learn to say, that's not fair. We learn that at a very young age. That's not fair. And all kinds of things aren't fair when you're growing up. Uh, there is many things as we grew up in our house that I thought was not fair. We got plain corn flakes while our friends got frosted flakes. That's not fair. Would you agree? Amen? Who likes plain corn flakes? Kind of a boring person. Uh, when uh, one child gets to stay up later than the others. I remember as our kids became teenagers and some of them we would let stay up a little later. The others, that's not fair. Or you run errands with one child and, and uh, they come, we, we learn, whenever I go out with one child, we always learn to hide all the McDonald's and Cone's evidence. If we get something with the one, you have to hide all the evidence. And even then, someone, one of the other kids will get into the car, so I smell McDonald's, that's not fair. Uh, he do, it doesn't get any easier as you get older. I tried out for the team, but I got cut, that's not fair. I applied for the job, but I didn't get it, that's not fair. Everyone around me was driving over the speed limit, but I got the ticket. That's not fair. Uh, we could go on and on. Is life fair? We know if we've been around a while, it's not. Should it be fair? We'd like for it to be. Plato said, to do injustice is more disgraceful than to suffer it. But it's no fun suffering it either. I mean, to do it is worse, but we certainly don't want to suffer injustice. Clearly... We have no choice how we come into the world, to whom we come into the world. Man, some of us, well, really all of us, being born where we are, is, we're, it's grace. I've, I've looked at the, uh, just in different documentaries in different parts of the world, and it always makes me grateful for where I was born and to whom. Uh, so we have no choice about that. But as we grow older, our choices abound. We have all kinds of choices about pretty much everything that we do and are involved in. So in, most, uh, in life, most of us are beneficiaries of the outcomes that we have contributed to with our choices. We make choices and things happen because of those choices. Uh, our station in life should not solely be blamed on our parents, our teachers, our pastors, our government, our society. It's largely based on the choices we make. The attitudes we adopt. Your altitude is not determined by your aptitude so much as your attitude. I think Zig Ziglar said that. And so those attitudes that we have and the choices that we make much of, will much determine uh, the, the station that we are in life. And yet we often have high expectations out of life, sometimes higher expectations than we should have. Because what we do, most people do this in life, when they have their plans, aspirations, and even expectations, it looks like this. I have more money, I have more success, 
I have more impact, I have more influence, I, everything's better in my plans for life. But then the other problem is that as we have these higher aspirations and higher goals, our habits are doing this number. Our habits and choices that we make are pointing downward where our goals and our dreams and our vision is pointing upward. To really get there, we better start changing our habits to match our aspirations. And so because of the choices that we make, that's why we're in the station of life that we're in. But life is often unjust, despite all those choices that we make. There are challenges that all of us will face. Philemon is an informal letter addressed to a man that was converted to Christ by the Apostle Paul. He's, he's obviously a man of significant means. The Bible shows us that he owned slaves, and so he, that gave him some means there. Also, the church of Colossae met in his house, if you look at verse number 2. Paul challenged his friend Philemon to consider the impact of Christ on the institution of slavery, the worth of all people, the necessity of acting like God does in forgiving and restoring those who fail. This letter that, we're, that is written to Philemon is a personal communication. It's warm, it's friendly, it's Christian in its demeanor. It is the shortest of Paul's letters. In the original Greek text, there's only 355 words. In your King James Version, there's only 430 words in this letter. So it's obviously much the shortest letter that Paul ever wrote. Paul wanted Philemon to accept and restore Onesimus, which was a runaway slave. And he carefully balanced his argument and constructed it with these three factors, his friendship with Philemon, his obedience to Roman law regarding runaway slaves, and his desire to help this new convert and new friend, Onesimus. Let's read a few verses and we'll get into these verse, uh, this, this passage and see what we can learn from it tonight. In Philemon, uh, let's go to verse number 10. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. By the way, Onesimus's name, <laughs> Onesimus' name means unprofitable. How would you like that? Thanks, Mom and Dad, for naming me unprofitable. But that's what his name meant. But now, he said, he's profitable. Verse 12, Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in my stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, and that thy benefit should be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. What Paul's saying there, he's not mine, he's yours. I would have kept him, I could have used him, but Paul is respecting Philemon's position in Onesimus' life. I'm going to have to get that down eventually here. Verse 15, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother, beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. 
I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Tonight I want to just talk for a few minutes of victory over injustice. Victory over injustice. Father, I pray you'd help us now in this passage and some things that uh, in a day of, of uh, a society that we might be unfamiliar with and different cultures, but there are some things we can learn, I'm sure, from this passage. So I pray you'd help us with that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul starts this letter by expressing sincere appreciation for his friend Philemon. And, I mean, he says some really nice things. We'll look at some in just a minute here. But it's not just empty flattery, uh, but sincere Christian appreciation. Flattery is from the teeth out, somebody said. Appreciation is from the heart out. And any smart person doesn't like flattery. Flattery feels real good for a moment but it's meaningless. And I like uh, what Napoleon Bonaparte said. I should say what Napoleon Bonaparte told me. Uh, he who knows how to flatter knows how to slander. Remember that in your life. He who knows how, to, somebody who is quick to flatter you will be just as quick to slander you if it's not real. And so we don't, we're not seeking flattery, nor should we flatter others, but sincere appreciation is always appreciated. And we ought to give that liberally. That's what he was doing here. Philemon sounds like the kind of man any of us would like to have as a friend. He was a man of love. He was a man of faith. Talks about him in Titus 3.15. It says he had a love for the brethren, which is the best evidence of faith in Christ. By this shall all men know that you have, uh, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love. For one another. So love for each other is the evidence that we present that we are of Christ. And verse 5, we didn't read, but let me read it here. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. It, uh, this is, talks about the twofold outreach of Philemon's life. It was upward to Christ and outward to others. Philemon didn't keep his faith to himself. He shared it. He communicated it with other people. Verse 7, look at these words. I think this is interesting. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Says the saints, he, he calls him a refreshing Christian, the kind of man that other people love. Now, it's true, everyone, everyone brings a smile to the face of others. Some by showing up, some by leaving. But everyone brings a smile to the face of others. Now, Philemon was the kind of guy that brought a smile by showing up. They were glad to see him. Ask yourself this question. Are you a refreshing Christian? Refreshing. Saints are refreshed by thee. Just out of curiosity, often in preparing a message, I, I use the thesaurus. Is that the right way to say it? I wish they had a word that meant thesaurus. Maybe I'll go to the thesaurus to find out. Uh, they, they, I go to that and use it a lot. And I looked up the opposite or the antonym of, of refreshed. And it's drained, exhausted, weakened, tired. You ever been around anybody that leaves you feeling drained, exhausted, weakened, and tired? Don't be that guy. Don't be the person that does that. But I think we all can... Probably, like we're talking about this morning, picture somebody like that. We can probably all think of somebody who 
just, it just exhausts us when we're around them. This was not Philemon. Philemon refreshed people. Are you a refreshing Christian? I love that word. I just think that's a, that's a blessing. Philemon was about to face a serious test of his faith and love. We're going to experience unfair circumstances in our lives. The question is not if we're going to face injustices, but rather how we respond when we will face it, because we certainly will. It's an absolute certainty that we're going to have to face injustice in our life. It happens. Some, Thankfully, where we're at, it's not quite as bad as it is in some places of the world. But injustice certainly is written throughout history. In the European Crusades from the 11th through the 16th century, millions of Muslims were murdered by the Catholic Church. It was a time of tremendous injustice. Under the Turkish Empire, the Muslims did the killing, and millions of non-Muslims were killed and enslaved. In America, we see the blight of slavery in, in a part of our history where people were separated from their families, brought here, and, and uh, had no rights. In the last century, six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust by Adolf Hitler. Joseph Stalin was responsible for the deaths of 70 million people during his reign. It's not only cultural and historical, but sometimes it's very personal. Injustices do happen. Now, again, I think we can all be grateful that nothing of this magnitude has happened to us personally, but uh, still injustices will happen. Situations will come into our lives that are simply unfair. They just shouldn't have happened, and we feel violated when it does. Uh, I feel bad talking about something that happened to me after I just mentioned those horrible atrocities. But uh, last this last year, um, I here at church, my catalytic converter was stolen out of my vehicle. One day I went to start up the truck and it roared very loudly. And I thought, first thought, somebody probably got down and I hope they didn't, but I took it in and sure enough, somebody had sliced off my catalytic converter. You ever been stolen from? That's a terrible feeling. You feel violated. And uh, you, you, somebody just came and took what wasn't theirs, it was yours, and now you don't have it anymore. Uh, these are injustices and many others that we're going to face, how people treat us and how people speak to us, or maybe they betray us or, 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 or to, to somebody else, or, or they uh, give us something that we wanted to keep between us, and they give the secret out or gossip about us, whatever it is, uh, we face those injustices. The Apostle Paul faced many injustices in his life. He referred to himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now that, by the way, is a whole other message we could go into. But notice how many times Paul calls himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Did Jesus slap handcuffs on him? Did Jesus drag him off to prison? Why, if he's sitting in a Roman cell, does he call himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ? He's not a follower of Jesus Christ who is a prisoner. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. The reason is because Paul recognizes God's allowing me to be in this situation. I'm going to make the best of my situation. Although it is injustful, unjust, unjust, okay? There's uh, injustice involved here, but I'm just going to uh, go forward and do what I can for Christ to still make an impact. To call himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ allowed him to be in that situation. That's a great lesson in that. He was... His faith and bold witness caused him to suffer unfairly all the time. So let's talk about the reality of injustice. I read the story this last week about Robert Lee Stinson. Maybe you know that name. He went to prison 
in 1985 for the first-degree murder of his 64-year-old neighbor lady, a grandmother that lived next to him. For 23 years, he maintained his innocence. Even when pleading guilty, if he'd have finally owned up to it, and said he might have had the opportunity to be in parole, but he even gave up the chance of being paroled to stick to his innocence. Finally, in 2009, after 23 years, he was released after new analysis of DNA and bite mark, bite mark uh, evidence in his case were reviewed, and they found that he was wrongfully accused. And he sat in prison for 23 years. Now, that's, that's pretty tough, isn't it? I can't imagine the feeling of injustice during that time, but the reality is we all face injustice. We see injustice throughout the book of Philemon here. It was not fair for Onesimus to be a slave. That's not fair for anybody. It's not fair for Philemon to have a slave run away and take some of his money or possessions. In the wording here in the middle of the chapter, it seems like, like Paul's owning up that, Philemon, that uh, Onesimus stole from him, perhaps to get away or whatever, but uh, did steal from him. It's not fair for Paul to be in prison for preaching the gospel. Each one of these men have the opportunity to sink into resentment and bitterness because what has befell them. They could withdraw into anger or they could continue to impact those around them for Christ. God worked through these circumstances to bring Onesimus back to, or to himself. Onesimus wasn't a Christian. The other two were. He brought all three of these men into a closer relationship with each other. Injustice that comes into our lives, can I tell you, never catches God by surprise. Injustice that happens to us doesn't catch God by surprise. Whether it be the loss of a family member or a tragedy of any sort that is shocking to us and, and uh, where we just can't even seem to handle or overwhelmed by it, this does not ever surprise God. He's able to make any circumstance work for our good in order to make us more like Jesus. Romans 8, 28 and 29, we know that all things work together for them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And with that, that he predestinates us to be in the image of his son, he brings into our lives these circumstances, often, yes, injustices, to build us and mold us and make us like Job, who had suffered tremendously, is able to say, one day I'm going to come forth like gold. I hate what I'm going through now. But we can allow hard times, injustices in our life, to refine us or to make us bitter and unusable. Look at uh, Onesimus. He was considered an unprofitable servant. The word unprofitable that Paul uses to describe is what Onesimus was. He said he was unprofitable. This literally means worthless or useless. And Paul is acknowledging there was a time Onesimus was worthless. He had been no value to the household. He apparently had not been a reliable worker. Verse 18 alludes that he stole some money. Philemon did not consider him to be a worthy individual. Now, it was not uncommon in the days of the Roman Empire for slaves to run away from their masters. They were often treated unfairly. Uh, so, because of how the, often this happened, to deal with this problem, uh, the empire made it a capital offense to flee. 
That means if you ran away, if you were a slave or indentured servant and you ran away from your master, then he had every right legally to have you killed or to kill you, to put you to death. Despite the difficult circumstances in Onesimus' life, God had a purpose and a plan for him because in Christ, all men have great value. Amen? We talked about that this morning. We have great value. We have great worth to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he might have been worthless to Philemon. He might have been useless to the world around him, but not to Christ because Christ sees everyone as a person of value. And when he became a Christian, everything changed. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Praise God that our value is not tied to our earthly abilities or our position in life. Our value is intrinsic in us. That means that our value is because he created us, not because of what we've accomplished. Praise God for that. Secondly, Onesimus was saved, but he was still suffering. God never promises that we'll be exempt from injustice. He, because bad things happen to good people. Have you, you've heard the question a thousand times probably, why do bad things happen to good people? I heard a preacher one time uh, preach a message, and the title of his message was, Why Do Good Things Happen to Bad People? And I was thinking, I'm going to preach that one day. I don't remember the message, so I'll have to write something. But I like the title. Why do, when good things happen to bad people. You know what? One good thing that happened to bad people was salvation. Amen? We don't deserve it, but it happened for us anyway. And so, uh, but, but bad things do happen to good people. And we, we can get into the, oh, there's none good, no, not. We know what we mean. People trying to do their best, trying to live for God, and bad things happen. Do not listen to slick uh, television evangelists who tell you that life is supposed to be smooth sailing and Christianity is a bed of roses and all you have to do is have faith and, you know, send me $10, God will send you $100, that, all that kind of garbage. That's not in the Bible. That, that, they're not reading the same Bible I am. Salvation did not solve Onesimus' problem. He's still in prison. He still belongs to another man. He has unresolved issues with Philemon that need to be settled. And injustice strikes the life of a Christian just as it does an unbeliever. Rain falls on the just and in the unjust. You know what mature believers do when they suffer persecution or injustices in their life? They focus on their responsibilities rather than their rights. That's what mature believers do. If Onesimus had remained bitter uh, at Philemon for owning him, or if Philemon had remained bitter at Onesimus for running away, their relationship could not be restored. And so each one needed to focus on God's purpose for his life and their relationship. They had a responsibility to do right toward each other. There was a need for forgiveness and restoration in their lives. Now, let me make this statement. Think about this statement. God does not hold our old sins against us. How good is that? Just think about it. God does not hold your sins against you. I will forgive him, and I will remember them no more. Why do we hold sins of others against them? Somebody does us wrong, and... We continue, oh, we'll say we forgive. 
but we continue to hold that sin against them. He, God does not, let me, let me give you this statement too. God does not act like forgiveness is his favor to us, even though it is a great favor to us. But he just forgives us because he loves us. That's a blessing. President Lincoln, after the Civil War was officially over, he was asked how he would treat the rebellious Southerners. Boy, this was a big question in that day when they were defeated. And this is what he said, I will treat them as if they had never been away. Almost brings tears to my eyes when I hear that. I'll treat them like they never did anything wrong. Because that's how God treats you. And that's how he treats me. Treats us like a new creature. Does not hold our sins against us. And in this we see the revelation of Christian grace. We cannot remove all the injustices from a fallen world, but we can be instruments of grace in that fallen world. Whenever there's an injustice anywhere in your life or in the life of others, there's an opportunity for grace in our response. Because injustices will be there. What do we do in the midst of them is the big question. It has to be God-focused people for this to happen. Uh, here's a few points along that line. Love every believer in Christ. This is how we face injustice correctly. Love every believer in Christ. When someone's going through a difficulty, we need to be an instrument of God's grace. So many times, uh, people going through difficult times and God's people make them difficulter for those people instead of helping them and make it harder on them. We, got, we must be uh, offering God's grace to others. That's why we have a local church. That's why we uh, have this fellowship so that we can edify one another and lift each other up uh, when we need it. There was a, this, this was a situation here where Paul and Onesimus found themselves in a hard circumstance. Paul could have sat in his cell and complained about being a prisoner. He would have certainly been justified, or we'd have thought he was justified in doing so. Uh, it was unfair. All he was doing is preaching the gospel, and here he's sitting in prison, and now they throw some dirty slave next to him, whether it's in the same cell or the cell next to him. Instead, I can't go anywhere. I guess I'll just preach to him. <laughs> and that's what he did. He shared the grace of God with Onesimus, and he led him to Christ. We have a responsibility to love everybody. Now we say that and we just, that's a flippant statement, but we really do. We have the responsibility to love people. I heard this quote and I wrote it down and I've been, I've read it over uh, pretty much once a day, every day for the last couple of weeks. Uh, talking about the world, you don't have to be like them to reach them, but you have to like them. That's pretty deep, isn't it? You don't have to be like them, but you have to like them. Jesus loved the lost, and that's why he gave himself for it. Uh, before we, while we were yet sinners, Christ gave himself for us. We will, not we will not reach a world we don't love. We will not reach a neighbor we don't love. We will not reach a family member that we don't love. We must love like Jesus loved. God does not approve when we have respect for persons, when we're prejudiced or we're partial. I like these people, I don't like these people. That's not from God. He didn't have that. He says he's no respecter of persons. And we're very, we put people in camps. We like this group and 
will avoid this group. And that's not a godly spirit or a godly attitude. He loves everyone, and he considers us or, or dis, uh, d- uh, requires us to do the same, wants us to love one another. If there's a person in your life who treats you unjustly or unfairly, like a boss or a neighbor, we had best respond with the love and grace of God. This is hard to do. It's easy to fight back. It's hard to be graceful. And that's when we're going to find our hearts changed toward them. We cannot change anyone else's behavior, but we can control our response. And if we control our response and show grace and love and control our attitude and our conduct, we can ensure an impact as we are, as 1 Timothy 4.12 says, an example of the believers. That's what we need to be to a lost and dying world. So love every believer in Christ. Encourage every believer in Christ. There are people in our lives, within the four walls of this church, there are people who are suffering. They need encouragement and a reminder of God's love. Sometimes it's hard. Maybe I'm sure maybe some of you have experienced the same thing. Sometimes it's hard to know how to help somebody who's going through a very difficult time. If I'm honest with you, this has prevented me in the past uh, not knowing what to say to someone. I used to hate hospital visits. I'd go and see somebody, and they're going through a difficult time, and I'd I'd be in the elevator going, Lord, just help me because I don't know what to say. It hit me one day like a thunderbolt. Don't say anything, you big goof. Just be quiet. Just be there, amen? You don't have to say something. That's a problem of preachers and men, for that matter. We think we have to talk, talk, fix the problem. We can't do that sometimes just being there, just showing that we care, showing that we love people. Look for ways to demonstrate God's grace toward people. We have the opportunity to be a refreshing Christian, like Philemon was, refreshing I mean, I think of that, I think of an ice-cold Sprite, like the commercials with the bubbles on the side of the glass. That's what I think of when I think of the word refreshing. Wedge of lemon on top. The Not not draining, like uh, the opposite of refreshing is. Oh my, are we refreshing Christians? Many times when people are suffering, usually, actually more than many times, almost every time that people are suffering through injustice, they feel isolated and alone. You've probably been there in your life. Paul know, knew what it was like to be alone. He said to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 4.16, at my first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. What a loving spirit that was. I would end that verse differently maybe, so would you. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that a big rock may fall upon their head. That's not what it says. It says, I pray God that not be laid on their charge. What an attitude. And then he tells Philemon, review him. He's he's profitable. He asks Philemon to renew his assessment of Onesimus. It's true, he said, Onesimus was unprofitable, but things have changed. Oh, listen, 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 listen so carefully here. How many times... Do we make a judgment about people and write them off forever? We won't ever have anything to do with them from that point on. I remember what she said back in 1962. You know, we forget, we just write them off. But Paul said, 
he's telling Philemon there's a time in our Christian life when we reassess somebody. Yeah, they were unprofitable. They were this person. But we have to, as mature Christians, we have to come to a point in our life where we reassess another brother or sister in Christ. Maybe they've changed. Maybe the relationship can be restored and can be different. It's so important. Uh, there, there may be changes uh, that God is working in someone's life, changes that we need to recognize and encourage. There is potential and profitability in every believer, so we need to be willing to forgive and to reassess. Don't let your judgment from five years ago of this person write them off forever. Man, aren't you glad God doesn't do that to you and me? Whew, we'd be in trouble. And then number two, he tells them, receive him as a brother. God wants us to treat everyone we meet as a brother. No matter what side of the tracks they're from, no matter what color their skin, God loves them, and he wants us to love them too. I've, I just As I said earlier, all are equal in God's eyes. He's not a respecter of persons. It's our duty to treat everyone we meet as a valued individual. God valued you when you were not worthy. He valued me when I was not worthy. What kind of an impact could we have to the lost and dying around us if we valued them? Oh, they're not worthy. Yeah, we've been there. All right, uh, just value them. But God commendeth his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. Reach out to people when they're suffering. And people, by the way, are suffering. They are. Keep your eyes open and your ears open. I always ask the Lord to just show me when... I can be an encouragement to people. and it, it, uh, If you got your eyes and ears open and you're out and about, you, you can see it more than you might realize. Somebody uh, crying or, or uh, looks looking, looking very bad. Uh, you know, it, it, sometimes it's all over their face. There's times we can minister to people. There's going to be a day in Revelation 21.4 when God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. But that hasn't happened yet. And so there's... There's struggle in people's lives. And then I want to look at, in closing here, the restoration of fellowship. Injustice breeds division. It breeds jealousy. Injustice sometimes makes enemies for life. There are divisions growing between different ethnic groups, different economic groups in our nation today, and it grieves me to see how Big wedges are being driven into different categories of people in our nation today. The haves, the have-nots, and the minorities, and uh, the majorities, and just all kind. And that's good for, for socialism. It's good for the wrong side. I understand that's why it's being driven. But it's not good for, it's not, not God's plan. But yet, in a society like that, we can all the more make an impact by loving on people. You don't have to be like them to reach them, but you have to like them. We have to have a love for people. It's our job as the children of God to be peacemakers. We need to work to restore fellowship where it has been broken. If we have been treated unjustly, it is our job to seek people out and make amends. This is all based on forgiveness. Restoration is predicated on forgiveness for the injustice that has been done. Look at what Paul told Philemon in verse 17. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. He, Paul was asking here for full 
and complete forgiveness for whatever Onesimus had done. Paul, by the way, he he even mentions this in verse 8. He had the authority as an apostle. He had the authority to demand Philemon. He could have said, bless God, Philemon, this is what you're going to do. Listen to me, and this is what you're going to do. He could have done that. Instead, he asked. He used the word beseech in verse 9. Can I tell you this? This is another truth. Grab on to this. Law is a much weaker motivation than love. If you do something because you have to, that's a much weaker motivation than because you want to. Uh, something we ought to do as Christians. True forgiveness cannot be mandated. <laughs> I remember when you have two kids mad at each other. Now say sorry. Sorry. All right. You can't mandate forgiveness. You can make them say sorry, but you can't mandate it. Uh, we'd like to, but it must come from the heart. True change, then, cannot be brought about because you demand it. You can't change anyone because you demand it. Try that with your teenager. Demand them to make some inner change. It must come from the Holy Spirit convicting and working in the heart. And this forgiveness, all this is based on, restoration is based on forgiveness. Forgiveness is based on imputation. Look at what it says in verse 18. What Paul told Philemon, put that on my account. That's, in a, that's a great uh, definition of the word imputation. Jesus Christ found us as runaway slaves, as lawbreakers, as rebels, but he forgave us and he identified us with himself. He went to the cross and paid that debt for us. That is the doctrine of imputation. He took what was our punishment and put it on himself. To impute means to put on one's account. Our sins were put on Christ's account. And that's what Paul is saying here. Put that on mine account. What marvelous grace he's showing here. Psalm 32.2 Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Our sins were put on his account even though he committed no sins. Second Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That's a great doctrine, imputation. Our sins were laid on Christ. Now, the question tonight, is there someone who has treated you unjustly? Do you harbor hatred toward anyone this evening? On the basis of God's forgiveness to us, we as God's children need to do all we can to restore that relationship. You may not be able to change anyone else's attitude or behavior, but you can free yourself from bitterness, from Revenge and all those negative feelings. I tell that to my kids all the time. You cannot change someone else. You can only change you. I tell that to in, in marriage counseling quite a bit too because I, that's, you, that's the number one request that pastors get. Change him. I can't. I can't change him. I can't change her. He, but we can change ourselves. That's the only thing we can do. Injustice. And broken relationships abound. And what a wonderful thing it is to see God at work restoring relationships. The word reconciliation is defined by Webster this way, a return to harmony. Isn't that nice? A return to harmony. Aren't you glad when we're in a church that has harmony? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Oh, I've been, and maybe you have too, in churches without harmony. 
And it's horrible. It's awful. Uh, to be in a place where we're working together. Now, does that mean we're never going to have injustices amongst us? No. But as mature Christian believers, we need to overcome those. We need to offer grace and offer mercy to those here so that we can have reconciliation, a return to harmony. What a thought that is. The grace of God can give us the victory. Now, according to tradition, Onesimus was freed by Philip when he returned with this epistle. By the way, uh, Paul wrote this letter and then he sent it with Onesimus. He didn't text Philemon ahead of time or email him. He just sent it with Onesimus. That means that Onesimus showed up at Philemon's door. Before you kill me, read this letter. I mean, seriously, he showed up with it. Paul says, hey, be brave. <laughs> and uh, good luck. That, this, this is, a, this is a, a wonderful thought I just had. I mean, that was some bravery on Onesimus' part to take this letter trembling to Philemon. So he was freed, according to, to tradition. He became a respected leader in the church. Later, he became the bishop at Ephesus following the Apostle John. So after John finished pastoring in Ephesus, wrote the book of Revelation, Onesimus became the next pastor. God used unjust circumstances in his life to prepare him to be used greatly in his work, just like God will do for you. If he sends unjust circumstances into your life, it is to prepare, unless, going back to the beginning of our message, is the result of a dumb choice you've made, okay, but if it's not, and you, you don't know why these things are happening to you, often it is God preparing you for what lies ahead, for something better. He wants to do the same thing for us. We can overcome injustice in our lives to accomplish God's purpose. But it absolutely takes a willing heart. It takes a loving spirit for us to do so. Because if we, like Haman, we talked about this morning, demand our rights, and it's about us, and we're promoting ourselves, and we're protecting ourselves. it's not going to happen. We're going to have conflict, and it'll never get resolved, it'll never get reconciled, and you'll never really grow as a Christian in Christ. We have got to have this kind of spirit, victory over injustice. Father, we ask you that you would apply these truths to our life, and Lord, we're so grateful we have the opportunity to see these clear scriptures, these clear instructions for our life. And may you continue to drive them home to us, Lord. I pray you'd be with us now as we are dismissed and go throughout the rest of our week, that you would just bless and use us to have an impact on those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.